Let us pray now for God to illuminate the reading of Scripture we will hear. O God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus Christ, amen. So uh, we have another long passage this week, so I'm going to uh, not read it before before we go through it. Um, I've checked this is legal in <laughs> both of our denominations, so uh, it will just take me a minute to get things uh, going here. So we are in a, a series of messages called um, One Hit Wonders. You remember from radio days back when uh, back when people listened to the radio, there'd be a band that had... Um, that had deep cuts uh, where you, uh, you you knew there was more than one song, but then there were the other bands that only had the one, and you know they, they were around for 18 years, and you still see them at the the uh, state fair, but but they are known for that one song, and so we're looking we're, we're kind of uh, stretching that metaphor maybe too far to look at books of the Bible that are just a single chapter long, where where instead of having a whole long you know uh, a book of the Bible that's 50 chapters or something like that, where they can go into uh, all the things they want to talk about, they have to cram it all into one chapter, and so that's the that's been the idea. So we looked at uh, there's only one of them in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the Book of Obadiah, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and then last week we looked at the first of two letters by John. Um, that we're going to look at that are just a chapter apiece. Next week, I want to encourage you to come back because next week we're going to look at the most neglected uh, book of the New Testament. I, I was reading in one of my commentaries and it said that what we're going to look at next week is one of the most neglected ones. So you can decide now, do you want to be one of the people who neglects this most <laughs> neglected book? Um, but today we're going to look at, we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at third John, the third letter of John. And, um, it's different from, it, it's very similar to the letter we looked at last week, but it's also very different. And so, so, um, what I want to, what I want to do is, uh, talk a little bit about that because, because last week's letter was, uh, probably written to a church. There's a possibility, you know, most scholars are agreed that when the, when the writer talked about, um, talks about, uh, the chosen lady and the children of your sister and things like that, he's using poetic language to describe the church. Now maybe he's a patriarchal, uh, man who is trying to, uh, uh, press down the, the role of women in the church. But um, but we don't know. Most scholars say that he was probably writing to a church, from a church. But today's letter is indisputably from one person to another person. It's just correspondence between two Christians. And so that raises the question, what's it doing in the New Testament? What does this have to do with us? If it's just some particular situation, as we'll see, he's writing about, what? why do we care? How did this even make it into the New Testament? Well, what we're going to see is that it's... Um, it's, it is a, a personal correspondence between two people, and there is a unique situation that's, that's going on there. But at the same time, it's, um, it's, uh, it's evergreen. You, you, as we'll see, that if we just kind of squint a little bit, we'll see, oh, I know a church like that. I've been in a church like that. Oh, the last three churches I've been in have been like that. And if maybe, maybe if, if it's been a long series of churches like that, maybe you're the problem. I don't know, but, but, um, but we're going to see these are problems that churches have. And so so if we look at it in that light, we're going to see that that the situations that are described in this letter are actually very similar uh, to situations we're familiar with from churches we know. And um, so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, and uh, uh, so it is a personal letter. And um, I'm trying, I just need a bigger table. So 
because I've, I've got I've got the one with the answers here. So um, so uh, it's it's a personal letter, and um, so we're, we're going to see that it's a personal letter, but it's also something we can apply in our own lives. So so um, with that, uh, um, let's go ahead and start looking at the letter. So the letter is from John the Elder, John the Presbyter. If you're a Presbyterian, he is an elder, and so uh, so are you. If you're a Presbyterian, you're an elder. So um, or many of you are. So uh, John is an elder. We don't know if it's the same John that uh, wrote the the Gospel of John. We don't know really much about this John, but from an early tradition in the church, early in the second century, uh, the the tradition has been that the same writer wrote the Gospel of John, the Book of Revelation, and then the three letters uh, from John. So we're just going to assume, for our purposes, that it was that same John. So John, the son of Zebedee. So we know who he is, but who is Gaius? He's writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Who is Gaius? Well, the answer is nobody knows. Gaius is is essentially he's just another person. So uh, so we can fill in ourselves here, or maybe we can say I'm in the position of John and I'm writing to a Gaius that that I know. So he's a friend of John's, and uh, beyond that, we don't know much about him. So. Um, let me, let me, uh, I, I, I love showing you maps, so sorry if you don't like them, but, um, so, uh, just to orient us, uh, where is this letter? John is probably ministering, they tell us, in Ephesus at this time. So Ephesus is in Asia Minor. I'm gonna zoom in on that square down there. So this is, um, this is Greece and Asia Minor, and Ephesus is kind of where, if, if Turkey today was the U.S., it's where L.A. is, okay? So it's the southwest corner of Turkey. So I'm going to zoom in on that star now one more time. This is the harbor. At, in the first century, Ephesus was a huge city. It was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It was about 500,000 people who lived in the area around Ephesus. So it was gigantic, and, um, you know, that's twice the size of Anchorage. Uh, probably not as big geographically because they didn't have cars and things, but but a lot of people living in a small space. And John was probably ministering from Ephesus. But Ephesus, because it was such a big city, was also kind of the 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 capital of this region. It was the go-to region for, for culture and uh, commerce and so forth. So there were a number of outlying communities, and they think, they, they, they think that Gaius was either from another house church somewhere in Ephesus or maybe from one of the surrounding communities. Far enough away that John had to write him a letter, but um, close enough that, that they would have ever contacted each other in the first century when there wasn't the kind of travel we have today. So, so that's who Gaius is. We don't know much more about him than that. So uh, we're going to assume he's somewhere in the Ephesus region. So that's that's the to and the from. Uh, but but then, as we saw last week, letters in the New Testament always follow a pattern. After the to and the from, then there's a thanksgiving. And the writer says, I'm thankful for something. But he's not just thankful. He's kind of being a, uh, he's, he's alerting the reader to kind of a table of contents. What it is I'm going to talk about in the rest of the letter. So what is the table of contents? Well, he tells us, dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are in a strong in the spirit. We saw last week that, that God cares about our bodies. God doesn't just want us to be so spiritually wonderful and doesn't care about our bodies. He cares about bodies too. So he says, dear friend, I hope you're healthy in your body as well as your spirit. And he goes on, some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. So what is the, the table of contents for this letter? It's going to have something to do with traveling teachers, and it's going to have something to do with living in truth. What does he mean by living in truth? Living, the, living in the truth or following the truth means uh, that you're not just um, 
full of head knowledge about Christianity, you're actually putting it into practice. You are trying to be a practicing Christian. So he's saying, uh, I'm going to talk about that, and I'm going to talk about traveling preachers. So he's got a lot on the agenda for a 25, for a, what is it, a, a 15 verse letter. So he's going to cover a lot of ground very quickly. So, so that's the table of contents, and now we get into the letter itself. So what does he say? He says, dear friend, you're being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers as they pass through, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So what is, who are the traveling teachers? The traveling teachers, this is the first century. You know, I can go to a Bible store, or I can go to Amazon, and I can get a Bible. In the first century, there wasn't a Bible. There was no Bible. There were a handful of letters that people were circulating and that in two or three centuries would be, uh, would be collected together into the Bible. But at this point, there were documents and there was teaching that was not yet recorded. So the traveling teachers moved around from, from town to town, from the villages around Ephesus, from one house church to another within Ephesus, uh, saying, here's the apostolic tradition. Paul came to our church just three years ago. We wrote down the things he said, and we're going to pass them along to you. We're going to circulate this so that long before it would be collected into a document and called the Bible, you know, maps in the back and all the rest, before that, they had these documents, and they had the teachers who carried them around. We saw um, last summer, when we when we looked at Paul's journeys through Greece, we saw Paul himself was one of those people. So he And he had people who, who went with him, Timothy and Luke and the others, who were uh, traveling teachers. And so he's saying, he's saying, you're supporting the traveling teachers. Good for you, Gaius. That's a good thing to do. Um, it's good for two reasons. First of all, that's how the, the church spreads. We, we find out what is the apostolic teaching. We learn from, from other churches who, who have been, um, who've been blessed with, with, uh, some teaching from somebody. We learn when they, when they share that with us by sending us a teacher or sending us a teacher with a letter. So, so we should support them as Christians. He says, he says that, that we don't expect non-believers to support these people, right? That why would a non-believer expect uh, to, to support these people? Instead, it's the believers who should support them. So he says, we ourselves should support them. But then he says, uh, but, but he's saying that this is drawing on a larger, uh, a larger situation, that you should support strangers. And this is, this is our first point. We grow as disciples. We grow um, uh, closer to being like Jesus when we extend and experience hospitality. And we see this throughout the, the, the scriptures here as well as other places. In Leviticus, way back in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, it says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. That whether you're, whether you're a foreigner or whether you're a native, you should be treated the same, that, that they should be um, uh, not treated badly the same, but treated well the same. You should, you should love him as yourself. In the Gospels, Jesus says, Why anyone, just by giving you a cup of water in my name, is on our side. Count on it that God will notice. So Jesus says, Jesus commends even the smallest acts of hospitality. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests, because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. So he says that it's important that we continue on this this tradition of hospitality for the strangers. And then Jesus famously in the, the parable of the, the sheep and the goats, he says, he, he says, there will be a separation of the righteous and the unrighteous. And what will it look like? Well, the sheep will be on one side and, uh, 
they will say to the to the king, they'll say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. So Jesus is saying that we should be hospitable. Um, Jesus also says we should receive hospitality. Sometimes we're okay with giving people hospitality, but we don't want to receive it. So... Um, so um, I, I went through a, when I was when I was in um, Southern California. I noticed uh, there were a lot of people on a message board that were saying uh, people from outside of the area were looking for um, hospitality, and I thought to myself, I should do that because I'm pretty reluctant to receive other people's hospitality. But then I thought about the nature of the conference. There was a lot of people from outside of the country, and I thought honestly, I should leave those you know those rooms that are available to people who are traveling further than I am. And so I said, well, you know, we can afford a hotel. But but I thought it over, that, that disciples of, of, of Christ are called not to be standoffish or aloof, but to accept um, uh, uh, hospitality as well. So the first thing, the first way we grow to be closer to, to being like Jesus is by extending and experiencing hospitality. So what's the next thing he says? He goes on and he says, I wrote to the church about this, about the traveling teachers, about... about um, about taking care of them. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When, when I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them, and when they do help them, he puts them out of the church. Now, some of you have been in Diotrephes' church, and I'm sorry because, obviously, churches are not supposed to be like this. This is a bad example for us not to follow. Um, but sometimes people get into a situation where they don't have any accountability. There's nobody who who is saying, um, you know, the, the 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 top pastor is is on the top role, and there's nobody who uh, he's at the top of the peak, and nobody can tell him what to do. That he has no accountability, and um, that's really our our lesson here is we grow when we have accountability. Um, Diotrephes should have had some, and and certainly church leaders need accountability. Um, and sometimes the, the structure of the church doesn't give it to them. In our church, uh, we actually have some some means of accountability. And even if the entire church is under the sway of somebody, we have other churches within our connection that are able to exercise some accountability. So even if the whole congregation, you know, I cast a spell on you and we all went off in this direction, um, it wouldn't matter because we've got other churches that would exercise some accountability over us. But it's not just a question for church leaders. This is a question for every Christian. You can ask yourself, who, who do I have in my life who knows enough about me and has permission to tell me, hey, you're kind of acting like diatrophies here. You're, you're not listening to people. You are, you are doing things that you really shouldn't do. Um, and you need to get some, some uh, clarity about what your role is. So, so, um, I think we all need to have accountability. And we see this again all through the scriptures. So, um, in the New Testament, it tells us, um, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive dis- and encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. So uh, that, that w- it's easy for us in the church to do the, fir- uh, to do the second part. We, we like to be encouraging, but it's, it's hard to get in other people's business and say, hey, I know, the w- I know what you're doing, um, and you really need to knock that off. And what we talked about last week is there's a, there's a good way to do that, which is put me too in the sentence. 
that we, we are part of a community. And, and so the best people to exercise accountability over other people is people who can say, I've been there, I'm dealing with that myself. And then it comes across not, not as judgment, but, but good advice. Oh, that's helping? Good. I'll, I'll try that too. So, so, um, so we do need people who can warn us as well as encourage us. Um, uh, in, in, in another letter, Paul writes this, Brothers, if, anyone is, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burden. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. He says that maybe there's something you can do to help because the goal is not to cast them out. The goal is not to get rid of the bad people. The goal is to restore them. And I, I think in this, in this letter, I think that's... Um, that's actually what John is trying to do. Notice he doesn't, you know, I, I, I love this. You know, John is so unlike me. If there was somebody like this who was causing me difficulty in, in my ministry, uh, I would not simply say, when I get around to it, when I visit there, I will report him. I would like, you know, instantly it's DEFCON 4 or something like that because I'm hot-headed. John is so, he just says, well, you know, we'll deal with that when the time comes. I'll report him. And it's like, you'll report him? You know, that's all. But I think what he's doing is he's holding out the possibility that Diotrephes can be, can be restored. See, Diotrephes is kicking people out of the church because, because they're challenging his authority. Last week we looked at a different letter, Second John, where he talks about the, the reason you, you kick people out of the church is because they're false teachers. That's the only, the only reason that John, John tells us about that we can kick people out of the church is they're false teachers. Anybody else, we just have to love them. And the purpose of, the purpose of excommunication is so we can do that. If somebody is so wrong and is, is so, is causing such a challenge to the church that we cannot, we cannot love them, we have to excommunicate them so we can, because everybody in the outside of the church is loved by the church. It's the people inside the church we struggle with. And so he's holding up the possibility that maybe diatrophies can be restored. Diatrophies is not a heretic. He's just arrogant and disobedient. And so the hope is that he can be restored. And that there's a little side thing here. Uh, uh, because I would go to DEFCON 4. I would have made this, you know, the, the, the top thing, the top thing on the agenda. But there, there's a lesson here. Troublemakers can't be allowed to set the agenda. The mission of the church is too important for us to go in whatever direction we feel like based on whatever crisis is. That, that the, the mission of the church is important. And we've all seen churches that got distracted by some controversy and they were thrown off mission for, for months or even years because of some controversy. There was a conflict, you know, the, one pillar of the church versus the choir or something like that, and they got off mission. And so we cannot allow troublemakers to set the agenda, and John resists that whatever temptation he might have had. So he goes on, though. He talks, what do you do with these bad examples? So he says, he says, um, he says, dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. So he says, you're going to get some flack for this. You're going to hear people tell you that you're doing it wrong because you're not paying attention to what Diotrephes has to say. We don't know who Diotrephes is. Maybe he's in Gaius's church. Maybe he's in a nearby church. But for whatever reason, he says, keep doing what you're doing. You've been extending hospitality to the traveling teachers. Now, there's a bad example. Diotrephes is not doing that. And maybe if Diotrephes has some influence over John, I mean over Gaius, he could he could actually uh, make it more difficult for Gaius to to continue doing what he's doing. And this is why we need encouragement because 
Because sometimes what we've been doing, we've been doing right, but circumstances change. And it's no longer as easy to do right as it used to be. Or maybe we're, we're actually, now right has changed and we need to do something that's a little harder. And so sometimes we need encouragement. So, so Gaius didn't need encouragement to do right before, but now with the negative example of, of, um, diatrophies around, it's going to be more difficult. And so, so John encourages them. He says, don't pay attention to the bad example. Keep on doing the right thing. So he says, so, so our point here is we grow when we receive encouragement. Um, this is, this is the reality for us to, to, uh, to, to grow in discipleship. We're going to have to face things where, where what used to be easy has now become hard because the circumstances have changed or because, uh, somehow or another God is taking it to a new level for us. We see this in the scriptures. Um, the scriptures are one of the places we receive encouragement. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And then Paul writes in the letter to the Thessalonians, he says, he says as he's closing the letter, how, how, how do you live as a Christian? He says, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you're doing. And the writer to, of the letter to the Hebrews says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another. The word motivate actually means to provoke. It's, it's, um, if you're trying to goad an animal down a path, you've got a little stick or something and you're trying to, you know, keep moving bossy, right? That's, that's goading. And he says, let us goad one another into acts of love and good work. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So this is throughout the New Testament that Christians encourage one another. This is one of the ways we grow is when we are encouraged. And now, finally, with all that, this is kind of side notes, right? Since I'm writing to you guys, I want to get some things out of the way. And oh, by the way, that brings me to my topic. Here's what I was going to, here's the reason I'm writing. I want to introduce somebody to you. He says, he says, everyone speaks highly of Demetrius. So we finally get, you know, the, the, he's, he's wrapping the letter up and he says, oh, before I close, I was going to write you about Demetrius. Demetrius is coming to your town. He's probably the one carrying the letter. And this is a letter of introduction. Um, you know, in the, in the first century, you couldn't get in the phone and say, hey, there's a guy coming. You had to actually send a letter. So Demetrius is going to be bearing that letter. And we don't know much about Demetrius either. Demetrius is somebody that John is sending in the direction of Gaius. Now, is he going to, you know, is he going to relieve the situation at, at Diotrephes Church? Is he going to somehow help out at Gaius's church? Is he one of these traveling teachers? Maybe he's carrying some letters from Paul or somebody like that. We don't know who Demetrius is. It's just uh, the only thing we do know, in fact, is that he's a friend of he's a friend of John. John. Uh, uh, vouches for him. John uses his leverage to um, to uh, to introduce him. He says, everyone speaks highly, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and you know we speak the truth. Everyone speaks highly of... That's the problem. The verse is in there twice. So it's only there once in the real book. So... <laughs> the slides, okay, cut and paste. So, all right. So, um, and then and then he uh, he closes the letter, and so... Uh, as we saw last week, he wraps it up this way, uh, pretty much the same. Um, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink. Um, for I hope to see you soon, and then we'll talk face to face. And then I, I thought this was interesting. He says, peace be with you. Your friends here send your greetings. So this suggests that, that it's a pretty small uh, area. He's not talking about the far side of Turkey. He's talking about someplace, you know, that, that there would be people who knew each other. And he says, your friends here send you greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of our friends there. So um, that leads us to our fourth point. We grow when we have Christian friendship. We need people 
like John who can vouch for us. We need people who can introduce us when, when, when we have, um, we have not done what we wanted to do. You, some of you know the story of, of, um, Paul and Barnabas. Paul has, has converted to Christianity and nobody will touch him. He's radioactive because he's been persecuting the church. But Barnabas comes along and introduces him to other people. In the same way, John introduces Demetrius to Gaius. And he says, everybody vouches for him. He's okay. You can trust him. We need people who can do that for us. We need people who can vouch for us. And we also need sometimes to be that person, to vouch for another person. So in order to do that, we need to have friends. In the Hebrew Scriptures, it says this in the Proverbs, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So if you're not, um, if you're not living in all times or, uh, heading, facing any diversity, you don't need a friend. But if you do have adversity, then you need a friend. And why do we need one? Two are better than one, for they will have good reward for their toil. If they fall, <clears throat> one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. But we see it in the New Testament as well. As early as Pentecost, what do, what do we read about the early church, right? They have just been founded. There's 3,000 Christians, and um, what do they do? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so they study the, the, the Hebrew scriptures as interpreted by the apostles, and to fellowship, that on equal balance, you know, do we think of, do we think of fellowship as having the same weight as the sermon? You know, downstairs after the service, if you have coffee, does that count as much as coming to worship? Well, in the early church it did. They're both listed as, as being of equal importance there in the account of uh, Pentecost. And Paul writes this in Romans, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. In order to do that, in order to obey those commands of Paul, you're going to have to have friends. Or if you obey them, you will wind up with friends. So you need friends. So so I will close with these these two questions. Um, um, how do you use your influence? Do you use your influence like John or do you use it like Diotrephes? Do you try to shore up your own power base or do you lend it out to other people? Do you say, here, Diotrephes, I will vouch for you. Right? I will give you some of my prestige, some of my authority, and you can use it as you see fit. Or do we use it like diatrophies? Do we use it, do we kind of hold on to it and try and amass it? So, so first question, how do you use your influence? And then that leads to the second letter, second question. Can you close your letters like John did, where he's talking about the friends here and the friends there? You know, I was thinking to myself, what would diatrophies letter be like? You know, I greet all of you. And, you, my loyal subjects, uh, greet me or something. You know, what, what, what is, what, what does Diotrephes say? Can, can he close a letter the way John did, talking about the friends who are sending friends greetings? So, 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 um, this is why, this is why I'm going to put in a commercial here. This is why every Christian needs to be part of a small group. Um, because, because you come to church and you do some of these things a little bit. But if you're not in some kind of a community, if you're not in an intentional Christian community, you're going to miss out on a lot of the things that we see in this letter. You're not going to have the opportunity to be encouraged as much. You're not going to have the opportunity to be to, to study the scriptures in, in a way that, that the encouragement comes out of them, as we heard from Romans. You're not going to be held accountable. You're not going to have people who you want to hold accountable, uh, who, who you want them. You're not, going to, you're not going to have people whom you want to hold you accountable. So, um, because, because you don't know them and get out of my business. I didn't, I didn't tell you you could, I, I never gave you permission to.
to tell me what to do. But in a small group setting, you can do that. You can actually have people who will do that. So, so we need to have, we need to have, um, people who will hold us accountable. We need to have people who will encourage us. We need to have people to extend hospitality to. We need to practice our hospitality on, on, on Christians as well as non-Christians. And so, so, um, I encourage everybody to be part of a small group. I wouldn't be a Christian today if it weren't for a small group in Indiana where I really got loved into the faith by the people who, who put up with me and all my, my faults and helped me uh, really be brought into Christian fellowship. And honestly, as a, as a pastor today, I'm in three different ministerial associations because it's that important, because I need people who can hold me accountable and who can encourage me in my faith as I go along. So I encourage this for all of you. Now, if you're not in a small group right now, if you don't have any kind of Christian community that's intentional, that meets regularly, and that does these things, I have good news for you. This fall, we're going to have a church-wide campaign. We're going to give people the opportunity to try out a small group. So we're going to try and get everybody in the church to at least at least dip their toe in the water and find out whether small groups are as good as Pastor Luke says they are. Because because I think when you do it, you will find out. And if you don't, well, you know, uh, you can you can never be in a small group again. But but I think everybody everybody deserves the opportunity to at least try it out. So so uh, Christian community is what gets us through the situations. This situation, diatrophies and the little soap opera here with diatrophies and Demetrius and Gaius, that will never be repeated. But but it will almost be repeated a million times because it probably already has been. The church is 2,000 years old. How many times has there been some squabble like this? And the way that Christians get to it, the way that Christians don't simply endure it but actually grow through it is through Christian community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter. Um, it's not written to us, but in a way it really it really hits home. So, uh, Lord, help us to find the kind of community who can help us deal with the specific problems that we're dealing with in our own lives. Help us to find uh, accountability and community. Help us to step outside our comfort zone and, and extend um, and receive hospitality. And, Lord, help us to have friends who are non-Christians. But help us also, Lord, to make friends who are. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen.